a tag on her ankle because she's been arrested and she's destroyed. And guess what else? She has a hairless cat. Hey, Michelle. Or should I say, good day, Michelle. Good day, love. How's it going? You, you've gone all Aussie on me. I've gone Aussie because I am actually in Australia right here, right now. Reco- coming to you, dear eavesdroppers, from Australia, the southeast oh, coast of New South Wales, to be precise. It's the lucky country, but it's also our country. So, you know, it's, it's wonderful that you're there. I hear the weather's quite shit. It's been up and down, but people do say, you know, to me, living as an Australian in the United Kingdom, they often say, why are you here? The weather must be fantastic. Why would you come here to this shit weather? And what they don't realise is when it's hot, it's really bloody hot, Michelle. It's been relentless, actually. I don't know if I can take much more of it. So I'm glad that it's a bit overcast today. Oh, goodness me. Honestly, I I don't have any sympathy for you. (laughs) I'll find something to bitch about. And... One other thing, I have not been able to sleep past 5am every single day. First of all, the first couple of weeks because I was excited. Now it's because of the most ridiculous bird I have ever heard. And I've never heard it before. And I hope to God I never hear it again because it's driving me absolutely insane. What the fuck kind of bird is it? No one knows what the bird is. I can't remember the tune of the bird when I wake up again in the morning, you see, because you hear it at 5am, you think, what the fuck is that? The odd times where I've slept through it with a pillow over my head, someone's come in and woken me up, some child or something. So it's just been awful. I just, I I have to keep going to bed at eight o'clock in the night, Michelle, because I'm so bloody knackered. That is ridiculous. But you know what? I feel like we have some friends who are birders. Love you long time. Linda says that she thinks she knows what the bird is and that her husband dealt with it when they had the (laughs) issue with the bird. (laughs) She wouldn't say how in front of the children. But um, I managed to record it the other morning. Maybe some of our bird watching friends can identify this ridiculous bird. It sounds like a giant two foot chicken, all colourful, <laughs> shouting at me through the window. But actually, I think it's, I've seen it. It's actually small and grey and flecked and quite pretty. I love, I love your comment. Fucking dickhead. <laughs> you can tell you back in the bay. He's a bay wit. It's a bay wit. <laughs> that bird... Is a bay wit. Fuck that bird. Exactly. <laughs> so, Michelle, what's life and Christmas and everything been like for you? What's it all been like for you in uh, the mountains? Oh, look, it's been absolutely gorgeous, completely opposite to you. We've had snow. We've had the white Christmas. We've had snow-peaked mountains. We've had some rain and then sheet ice on the mountain and basically Ooh. the most rescues I've ever seen Oh my in, gosh. in a winter season. So it's been quite intense. And no one's died, I hope. They cover it up. You'll never know. <laughs> You'll never know. Dastardly. Now, I don't want to name drop here, but I had lunch with a famous person. Who? I'm just going to say one word to you or two. The Cougs. Steve Coogan. Yes. But did you actually have lunch with him? I thought he just came into the restaurant and Andreas didn't know who it was. 
Well, that was the start of it. He came into oh. the restaurant and Andreas came home and said, oh, there was, there was some guy who reckoned he was famous in the restaurant. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, who? And I was like, that's fucking Steve Coogan. How did, you, how did he describe him to you, though? Well, he'd left the restaurant and then he'd come back in. Oh. One of the guys at the restaurant said, listen, mate, I've been meaning to ask you this all night. Have you eaten with us before? You look really familiar. <laughs> and he said, I'm an actor. My name's Steve Coogan. <laughs> and Jayas came home and said, oh, there was a guy in the restaurant called Steve Cooper. He reckoned he was an actor. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> this is the guy who doesn't know who Steven Spielberg is, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, so I was like, you had fucking Alan Partridge in the restaurant. And then, lo and behold, the next day, we end up having lunch with him. Yeah. I sat opposite him. He's a very nice guy and in conversation, not at all funny. How did you end up having lunch with him though? Because he was there with a friend of ours. Uh, well, we'd gone skiing and we ended up meeting them for lunch. Oh. I sat opposite Steve Coogan and then we got invited out for drinks that night with the Coogs again. Did you go? Yeah. Of course I did. You wouldn't turn an opportunity <laughs> with the Coogs down. I actually find him very attractive, Michelle, in the trip. Well, I'm not sure if you would anymore. Really? Oh, I like an older man. Well, he's definitely an older man. He's got lovely silver hair now. Lovely. I don't mean to say it in a in a horrible way. She's gonna. <laughs> no. She's the little bitch. Do you know what? He was actually intelligent and lovely. Did you manage to let him know that we have a podcast that he could possibly get a shout out? Or a shot art. I said to him about seven times, well, you know, I have a podcast <laughs> called Eavesdropping. Did not take the fucking bait. So what am I going to do? Honestly, I could not have shoved it Fuck into it. his face anymore. He was telling me he turned down an MBE. Oh, I like that. I like that too. And I said, do you know what? That could be rich fodder for an episode on my podcast oh, called Eavesdropping. <laughs> Honestly, I was shoehorning that shit in. It's comedy. We could be the next best thing if you just sign us, please, Mr. Coogan. Because you know he has a production company called Baby Cow. Yes, Baby Cow. Yes, I do know that. I am a comedy fan. Of course. He discovered Mighty Boosh. He's the whole reason Mighty Boosh ever made it onto television. So he's kind of amazing. And he was just lovely. But like I said, in real life, not at all funny. <laughs> like in conversation. Michelle, people say that about you and me. So, you know. What? Boom to the Cougs. Boom Love to you. the Cougs. You know what? We're going to give him a massive shout out right here, right now. This is for you, Steve Coogan. And if you're not fucking listening, then I can't be held responsible for that. <laughs> shout out. Shout out. Shout out. You're getting a shout out. So, the thing too is, I've been thinking a lot about. New Year's. Oh, New Year's. Have you had it? Have you made any resolutions? Because I'm not going to make those, Michelle. You keep asking me that. I'm not going to take the bait. Just like Steve Coogan <laughs> didn't take the bait about your fucking <laughs> podcast that you're on. I'm not going to go there. You know why? Because what's the point? I mean, I am actually using that lovely notebook that you gave me for Christmas. Oh, I'm writing. A lot of, like, it's a bullet journal, isn't it? Because it's got all it the is. little dots on it. So I'm trying to learn how to do a bullet journal. And I'm just writing shit down. The shit that's normally lost in the ether is now going in that book. And I've even got little things that I'm supposed to use for my essays, for my counselling course. I'm putting those, those in there so I know where to find stuff about the counselling course or stuff about what beauty products to use or stuff about where to go on holiday. I'm reorganising my life. No, look, I 
think it's great that you're journaling and I think that I'm not a journaler. I should be because I'm a writer, but I'm also not someone who makes New Year's resolutions really because I always think I will and then I'm like, I'm not going to fucking stick to anything like that. And also I feel like if you really wanted to do something or make a change in your life, you just fucking do it. You just fucking do it. It doesn't have to be New Year's Eve to do it, but it is a good time to reflect on what's been and ruminate on what's to come I suppose I mean I like to live in the moment very much so I do think it's good to have a few goals and then look back on the year I agree I don't have any goals (laughs) I have no goals (laughs) except to get Steve Coogan listening to this fucking podcast well there's a goal but you know what else what Mendelssohn's here Mendelssohn is in Australia right now I'm going to track that bitch down and I'm going to get him to give us another mention he's going to talk back on this podcast again i'm going to get him on goal for 2023 the coogs and mento after eight brown lemonades i'm going to get him on (laughs) trust me it's going to happen actually while i'm here in australia listeners look forward to a few aussie stories i'm going to try and collect lots of sights and sounds and share them with our listeners the eavesdroppers because we've got a lot of australian eavesdroppers actually quite a lot That's wonderful. I mean, look, I see the analytics. I know where they all are, far and wide. And we always have a nice big red blob over Australia. So we do have a lot of Aussie eavesdroppers. And you know what? I do want to say thank you so much for what an absolutely brilliant 2022. You know, we could not Mm. have got on to where we are now. Top 5% podcast globally without you. Still? So big love. I haven't checked. Oh, yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, eavesdroppers. Yes, actually, happy 2023. We haven't said that. And another thing we haven't said, Michelle, is... Welcome to Eavesdropping. I'm Geordie. (laughs) And I am Michelle and you are eavesdropping. Now, I did write something down. It is a little bit philosophical because I was thinking about... Oh, God. (laughs) I was thinking about New Year's and I wanted to know, actually, have you ever heard of a guy called Alan Watts? No. He died in the early 70s, but he was a, a... philosopher and he's British a writer he's just got these powerful lectures and you know really poignant today as they were 50 or 60 odd years ago yeah I'm gonna read something which honestly if you actually know who Alan Watts is you will know that I just by the mere fact of sounding like a five-year-old on helium I will butcher his words because he (laughs) has the most wonderful wonderful voice but I just wanted to start the new year off with some words that I find to be quite inspiring and words I'd like to live my life by in 2023 and beyond. So, lecture from the 1950s. The lecture was called, What If Money Was No Object? It starts off, what do you desire? What makes you itch? What sort of situation would you like? I always ask the question, what would you like to do if money were no object? How would you really enjoy spending your life? When we finally get down to something which the individual says he really wants to do, I will say to him, you do that and forget the money. Because if you say that getting the money is the most important thing, you will spend your life completely wasting your time. Oh yeah. You will be doing things. Oh yeah, Alan, go Alan Watts. You will be doing things you don't like doing in order to go on doing things you don't like doing, which is stupid. 
Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. So therefore, it's so important to consider this question. What do I desire? Love that, Alan. Thank you. He is amazing. And, you know, there you have it. A little philosophical bomb to take you into the new year, eavesdroppers. Oh, thanks, Michelle. That's really nice. And I'm glad that you gave us something really hopeful and really special to hear right before I launch into my one-hander, the last of our one-handers for the Christmas and New Year season. It's kind of dark and it's it was tricky to research <laughs> oh, and I didn't enjoy it much. But I'm hoping that oh, you guys, you eavesdroppers, will love to hear part two of our culty update on the sex cult of Nixium. Keith Ranieri, the um, oh. messianic sex god, not. Midget, too. Absolutely fucking well, we tiny. Nothing wrong with midgets. You're one. I'm one. I mean, I've almost specifically classed as a midget. I don't know. Is five foot a midget? That guy. I don't know how girls just like fancy There's him. nothing sexy about him. Well, because he is a master manipulator, Michelle, as you'll yes. go on to hear. Are you ready to hear all about the vow? Part two. Now, Michelle and I did an episode back in our first season in episode eight. It came out on the 2nd of December 2020 when we first started this podcast. We were both appalled and fascinated by this documentary that we saw called The Vow, which was made by some people who were following a couple of people who were in a, what would you call it? It's a corporation. It's a personality cult, actually. It was in the news because it had uncovered sex trafficking and all sorts of things. So Michelle and I sat down to watch it and we did an episode. So if you want to go back and listen to that first, be my guest. Or you can listen to this one and I'll do my best to try and update you about what Nixium actually is. N-X-I-V-M is how you spell it. And it's all, what is it? Does it stand for something? Who knows? I didn't bother looking into that. But it was started in 1998 by this guy, Keith Ranieri, and a woman called Nancy Saltzman. It came out of him doing lots of various telesales jobs, which then led to Ponzi schemes, very much like Jeffrey Epstein. Now, what's a Ponzi scheme, Michelle? Let's tell them. Well, it's basically a pyramid scheme where nobody wins and someone ends up taking all the money, essentially. Exactly. The top tier end up pocketing the cash. He loved that idea. And he did try many times to start something where he was the absolute boss many times Mm. until he met this wonderful woman called Nancy Saltzman. Was she wonderful? You decide. She didn't feature in the first first documentary. And she was arrested along with him and one of her daughters and an actress called Alison Mack from Smallville and a bunch of other people who were protecting him and allowing him to get away with the awful things that he did. Including the worst of the worst, when he branded his initials onto all of those women's pubic bones. That's kind of how it all came about. But I'll get on to that. So this Nixium, it's an executive success program is what it's called to help with self-improvement for professional people. So people with money, of course. And it was based out of Albany, New York, also Canada and Mexico, eventually. And a lot of the members were wealthy elite, a lot of them from Mexican society, strangely enough, later on, after, you know, some time. It was going for 20 years, Michelle. So members would, like I said, give money when they joined the group and they'd work their way up and earn sashes, uh, which kind of showed you what tier you were on. 
and a lot of actors would join, including this woman called Bonnie Peace. P.S. I can't remember how you pronounce that name, but she's an Australian. She was in the Star Wars movie. I can't remember which one, but she played Beru Lars and she's now in the Star Wars franchise. I think it's a minor character or it was and now maybe bigger. I don't know. But she met her future husband, filmmaker Mark Vicente, who made a documentary film long before he he started in this Nixium. And that was called What the Bleep Do We Know? And Michelle, you watched that, didn't you? It's all coming back to me. First of all, just going back to the sashes. Do you remember they were like cheap pieces of shit and we were laughing at how horrible those awful. sashes were. This whole What the Bleep was a really influential movie in I think the late 90s or early 2000s everyone who had kind of any alternative leanings were watching that film and talking about that film and also Nixium on the surface of it if you read the literature sounded fucking fantastic smart people who were looking for some kind of program to help coach them in a way better themselves yeah It was a coaching program. It was really alluring on the surface. (laughs) Nancy Saltzman had some really great ideas and she was actually really good at what she did. And she didn't have, I believe, well, we'll find out by the end of it, but I think she had good intentions all the way Mm -hmm. through. Unlike Keith Ranieri, who made it possible for her to be successful in the first place. And you'll hear why. I keep saying that. So anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, What the Bleep. That's a film about consciousness and its links to quantum physics. That's what I've got in my notes, Michelle. So there was also Yugoslav royalty and former dynasty actor Catherine Oxenberg's daughter, India, which in the first vow was all about trying to locate this poor girl because she was with uh, Keith Ranieri right to the very last minute, I think. And her mother was desperate to get her out. Also, as I mentioned, Alison Mack, who's the former Smallville actress, and a woman called Claire Bronfman, who is heiress to the Seagram Drinks Company fortune. And she was a big benefactor of the Nixium Corporation and a massive fan of Keith Ranieri, and I believe she still is. So this Nixium was going strong, living his best life, old Keith Ranieri, until it began to fall apart years into it after people became aware of what Michelle just mentioned before. It was a sorority that was formed within Nixium in 2015, apparently without Keith Ranieri knowing about it and definitely without Nancy Salzman, she says, without their knowledge, called DOS, D-O-S. Now that stands for something in Latin that translates as Master over slave women. Oh, sounds sounds good. Where do I sign, <laughs> Michelle? Sign me up. <laughs> AKA the vow. It's also known as the vow. Well, I, I would just like to interject at this point and say, I think, and I could be wrong, but my personal opinion, don't sue me, is Keith Ranieri knew every fucking thing about his cult. And of course he knew these girls were being branded. Is my belief. Well, shall I tell you, Michelle? Do you have an update? Oh, my God, I would love of to know. Of course I do. This is all about the update. <laughs> so let me explain what DOS was, if, in case you don't know. It was a sorority within Nixium, like I said, without his knowledge, he says, where women were being recruited by other women as their slaves. And they would be inducted in a sex slave style ceremony, complete with, as Michelle pointed out earlier, branding near their intimate areas of what looked like Ranieri's initials, K-R. Not only that, but they were also forced to videotape or write down salacious stories, true or otherwise, mostly not true because they had to be really grotesque, as collateral, which was then held by their masters 
to keep the women obedient. And if they wanted to leave the sorority, DOS, then they were told that this collateral would be released. Like it's letters to their parents telling them of the awful, usually sexy things that they've done. So people didn't want these videotapes or these letters coming out. And also there was a lot of intimate pictures of them as well. So all of this was being held as collateral for a lifetime of obedience and servitude. Who wants to be part of that club? Not me. No fucking way. So as a result of that, members would start to leave. They were starting to get Mm. sus. They were thinking this is no good. People were running away in the dead of night, fearful of reprisals, because those who knew Ranieri knew that he was capable of dastardly acts. Like I said earlier, he's a master manipulator yeah. And now a convicted sex trafficker as a result of all this and potentially a cult leader. I'd say absolutely fucking definitely a cult <laughs> leader, actually. <laughs> yeah. So on this program, when we finally meet Bonnie, the actress, and Mark, the filmmaker, again, because they were very instrumental in pushing getting the arrest in the first place, it was the time for the trial, Keith Ranieri's trial. He was going to be tried first before all the other women. And so Bonnie and Mark were shitting themselves basically about the outcome because if he managed to convince one juror and don't forget he has managed to convince so many people of so many things in the past they know what he's capable of he is yeah but one juror convinced of his innocence he could walk free and their lives would be ruined because bonnie says in the vow number two she says he's a vengeful bastard right and now the thing is too with bonnie and boyfriend thingy vincente husband yeah husband sorry mark they were deep into it, deep, deep, deep. They were yeah. like happy, clappy, super into it. Like he was right up there, busy friends with Ranieri. Yep. Until Bonnie turned around one day and said to her husband, this is not fucking right. Something's not right here. And do you remember yeah. that it really caused friction in the in the marriage and they were on the, on the verge of splitting up. But he eventually yeah. saw the light. You know, he and Bonnie together were united to try and stop Ranieri. Exactly. At this point in The Vow, number two, during the trial, Ranieri is being held in a correctional facility while he's awaiting his, his trial and sentencing. And it becomes apparent that there are still a few faithful followers who even contribute to this documentary, actually. So you get to hear their voices, which is amazing. And they spend a lot of time outside this correctional facility communicating with torches and doing hippie dances and all sorts of things. And Ranieri's flashing his torch back. So then guess who we meet, Michelle? Guess who we meet? It's Nancy Saltzman. She's all through this documentary and she has a tag on her ankle because she's been arrested and she's destroyed. And guess what else? She has a hairless cat. What? Oh, my God. Creepy. When we meet Nancy Saltzman, remember, she's the woman who helped Ranieri establish Nixium. She's a former psychiatric nurse when she first meets him. She was a divorced mother of two daughters, Lauren and, and another one called Michelle. And she's passionate about helping people. She was known within the group as prefect to Keith's vanguard that was the highest you know he was the boss the big boss so she's number two and she helped to develop all the courses basically did all the graft while he did actually because there's lots of film of him because he loved to document himself he's just lounging around dictating his decrees like here here i'm riffing here i'm riffing here how about (laughs) blah 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 bullshit bullshit and they're all like lapping it up while he's lounging and also he lives on this compound with everybody in their houses around him and he shares his home with many, many girlfriends. 
which I'll go on to explain. Isn't Nancy and and her daughters, aren't they all shagging him at some point? All of them. You don't know that Nancy is. You do know that her daughter, Lauren, did have a relationship with him. Lauren is up there at the top. She's one of the key figures in this trial. Nancy, on the other hand, we're always left with a question mark about why were they such close friends in the beginning? It was just Mm. the two of them in 1998. He met her somewhere. They made friends. They got excited about something they could do together. She was extremely excited because she's always wanted to help people. And off they went. And you don't find out until later what actually happened between the two of them, Michelle. And I will tell you, but just bear with me. (laughs) So she was arrested, as I said earlier, in the swoop when he was taken down and charged with identity theft and altering records to influence the outcome of a lawsuit against Nixium. And she, along with all the women who were arrested with Ranieri, pleaded guilty as advised by their attorneys because their attorneys told them anyone who stands with Keith will go to jail. So they all flipped. Not one of them backed him. Of all these close girls, including Claire Bronfman, who still backs him, they all flipped on him in order to save themselves. Well, you're going to, aren't you? Like if the ship's going down, if the Titanic's sinking, you're going to try and jump on an iceberg, aren't you? Absolutely, absolutely. But that made me feel throughout watching this documentary, were they really fully out or were they just trying to save themselves? Do they still love Keith? Uh, Look, I think they're probably all still brainwashed, but also trying to save their own asses. But who knows? Well, who knows? Exactly. So anyway, Nancy, we watch her in her home with her hairless cat and her ankle (laughs) bracelet. And she's telling the documentary makers that she knew nothing of DOS, the sorority that branded women and made sex slaves out of them. And that's shocking because her daughter, Lauren, was one of the first instigators of the sorority. And she was best friends with an actress called Sarah Edmondson, who in the first vow was very instrumental, along with Mark Vicente. They were best friends. Lauren had recruited her best friend, Sarah, as her sex slave. So after Sarah's branding... She was one of the first to blow the whistle on DOS and she now has a podcast with her hubby called Nippy called A Little Bit Culty. So go and check that out. Michelle, you can show note that. (laughs) A little bit cunty. Sorry, culty. Well done. So anyway, this vow too, it's following all of this lot during the trial. And when Mark Vicente takes the stand, he's looking at Keith Ranieri, who's giving him a I'm here for you, look. And suddenly Mark is racked with guilt. You know, all these what ifs. What if I'm wrong? What if he's really a good guy? We were close once. Maybe I've got this wrong, you know. Even he is starting to doubt whether or not he's doing the right thing. But the fact is, Michelle, as you know very well, because you don't give this guy an inch, he's not a good guy. As the documentary progresses, you'll see testimony from so many victims and so many sources that paints a vile, an abusive man who cared for no one but himself. I'm not surprised because watching The Vow, the first one, obviously I haven't seen the second one. And you won't need to because I'm going to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler. He was the most narcissistic person. You know, everything he did was just to better himself, to get money, to get sex, Mm -hmm. to get emotionally under people's skin and to control them. It was was terrifying. Nancy. I've mentioned before she was passionate about helping people. And, for example, she had written a course that would help people with Tourette's. And it was extremely successful, judging by the people she helped. One of them was a guy called Mark Elliott, who is still one of 
Keith's followers still with him and he's standing by him. And there are videos of Mark Elliott in the deep throes of his Tourette's. And then he joins Nixium. He does the course. He is cured. And then he starts helping other sufferers by going around doing talks to Tourette's sufferers Mm -hmm. and saying how he was cured after meeting scientist and philosopher Keith Ranieri, who's neither of those things, by the way. Out of a cornflakes packet, as my mum would say. Exactly. So he continues to help other sufferers with Tourette's, including a girl called Isabella, who had a severe form of Tourette's. And you see this in the documentary. She had it since childhood, and it would include punching herself. And so they got her on board, did this seven-day treatment, managed to alleviate the symptoms to the point where she was so happy with the outcome that she joined Nixium. But then she was dragged into DOS and then she was out. Phone conversations that are recorded because everything gets recorded. For some reason, these people just record everything, which is to their detriment. So then we hear phone conversations when Mark Elliott finds out she's left with the aid of somebody else who had already left. He's telling her in the phone calls that leaving Nixium would harm her recovery. They tried every trick in the book to keep her. They'd say that she would go backwards. She'd be back on the Tourette's if she left all sorts of things. So this poor broken girl had to return home. Did her Tourette's return or was she... I don't know. I don't think so. They were just trying to continue their hold over her and continue to manipulate yeah. from afar, which is really Coercive sad. Coercive control. Awful. Yeah. So Nancy is the only one that really has the damning goods on Keith Ranieri. She really yeah. has some stuff on him. There are videos like I said, that he insisted on recording himself and keeping all of them and all the documents that he'd ever written, even pieces of paper where he's come up with ideas. She's got boxes and boxes of these things in her garage that she's been asked to hold on to. And there are videos where they're having meetings and she points out something. He shuts her down. He slams her, puts her down. She takes it. It's humiliating to watch Michelle he just like puts it down when I want you to speak I will let you speak all of this kind of thing he's so disgusting and she admits watching those things back she admits well she doesn't know why she took that shit she craved his approval like everybody else it's because he it's brainwashing he brainwashed all of them without them even realizing I mean that's we always say no one sets out to join a cult you know you think you're joining some fantastic group and then that will better your um, intelligence or your, I don't know, your organisation. And then all of a sudden you're in a fucking cult. Didn't really want to watch that, did you? Spoiler alert! Well, Nancy, like I said, she has some damning goods on him. And if you remember from the first documentary, Michelle, there was one of Keith's many girlfriends that lived with him called Pam K. Fritz. She was the one that died eventually of cancer and she never sought medical help. She died on the compound, I believe. That was awful. Nancy recalls one particular incident when Pam K. K. Fritz was dying of cancer and not receiving medical treatment. Well, she was on her last legs. Ranieri would go to Nancy's every morning for breakfast and just lie around while she served him breakfast. And on one occasion at breakfast time, he asked if Nancy, being a former nurse, would go over to his place and help Pam, who had had an accident in her bed in the night. So clearly she had, you know, wet the bed or something. That's what Nancy Mm. believed, right? So Nancy's like, yes, of course, I'll go now. He's like, no, no, make me breakfast first. So she did. (laughs) And then she kept saying, shall I go now? Shall I go now? I don't want her lying in a wet bed. That's terrible. 
And he'd be saying, no, no, she's fine. It can wait. Don't worry about her. And he'd be lounging and dictating his musings as usual. Eventually, when she did go over, Nancy, to her horror, found out that Pam was lying out of it in her own feces. She had pooed the bed. And she'd been like that for hours and hours and hours. God knows how long, you know. It was probably mid-morning by the time Nancy got there. It had happened in the night. No urgency Mm. on Keith's behalf. He really didn't give a shit. Nancy realised in that moment that he did not care for anyone. And this woman had been his, his partner and girlfriend for years. It was all about control. He wanted to control Pam. He wanted to control Nancy. He wanted to play God. Like, yeah. you won't go until I tell you. Oh, yeah, very much that. Yeah. Awful. So poor old Nancy also found out the extent of her daughter Lauren's relationship with Frenieri during the trial. Lauren, like I said, was a founding member of DOS, and she confessed to publicly lying about Ranieri's involvement in the society. Boom. He always knew, Michelle. He of course always he fucking knew. did. I knew it. It's yeah. a fucking creep. Lauren also told the court how Keith Ranieri had first approached her about the concept and told her that it would make their relationship, which had been going on for years at that point, stronger. She was utterly devoted to Keith Ranieri and had been in a relationship with him between 2001 and 2008. And, of course, Keith told her, keep it stumm, don't tell anyone, which deeply hurt Nancy when she did find out because when Keith and Lauren, her daughter, had first met, it was when Nancy and Keith had first met her mother, Nancy. So little Lauren was still in college at the time and Keith had convinced Mm. Nancy that she needed to get Lauren to move out of home. And now Nancy realises why. So he could have her all to himself and he could do his wicked things with her behind Nancy's gaze, I suppose. So anyway, they're in a relationship. Whatever happens, they're all in it, deep in it, right? He promised Lauren that they could have kids together when she turned 30. But then when they got to that point, he told her they couldn't because she hadn't lost enough weight. Weight was a big issue for him. This woman is already skinny. But he wanted them skinny, skinny, skinny. He also told her that her workout was too low. So basically, you're not good enough. Work harder. Then I'll give you my child. Disgusting. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I'll give you my seed. So off she went to try and sort all these things out. But, you know, they had these late night, sometimes all night long volleyball matches on his say so because he loved to do that. Lauren committed something called a breach, an ethical breach, his term, Ranieri's term, which was a term used usually by him for the ultimate crime in Keith Ranieri's mind. And that could be anything. You didn't know you'd committed it till he told you that he had, basically. So this time when she committed her breach, she was just roughhousing with another man in this volleyball game and she jumped on his back for fun. You know, like it was all fun and games. It was lighthearted. Well, Keith saw this. And he said to her, it showed that she was open to having other relationships with other men and that she was easy and that she needed to humble herself and make a plan to fix it. And she had ruined their future child's life. And now that's not going to happen until she makes amends. Oh, my God. This is all testimony from her in court. Control. But she wasn't the only one hearing all this shit. There was a Mexican actress who's in the video in the documentary called Vero, and she was also in a relationship with Ranieri and being told to keep it quiet and being told that she could have a child with him until she met someone that she liked because she realised he was seeing other people. She thought, well, I can do that too. So she kissed this guy and told Ranieri and he lost his shit and said, well, you have to dump him and then we'll have kids. You know, dump him. We'll have children now. It's your turn. But that didn't happen either. 
And Nancy Saltzman recalls, she knew all about this. She was actually kind of drafted in to be the fixer when things got out of hand because he'd get these women into a state and then, of course, they'd be all fighting over each other about who would get the special babies first, you know. He'd promised three other women, including now deceased Pam, all babies, and they were hanging on to this despite some of them reaching their 40s and 50s and they still thought they were in with a chance. Jesus Christ, even though they'd stop having their rags, they were like, I'll still have his baby. Yeah, this is the thing with coercive control. And also cult leaders, like, why is it always like sex, sex, sex? It's all the sexy stuff. But how much energy can you have to like shag more than one person? Honestly, it's exhausting. Yeah, I think that too, but not for Keith. Where does he find the time and the energy? It's awful. awful. Well, you know, and it's also, it's cruel. He's taken this option of you know having children away from so many women. Back to Nancy. So she was told, like I said, to manage all these women when they got out of hand. She just found this irritating and distracting to the work that she was doing. And she was telling the documentary crew that now she's aware of the true extent of the damage that he had done. She doesn't know how to live with herself. She's racked with guilt, including her poor mm. daughter. When she hears her testimony, it really does break her heart. And she remembers one time when she saw him behaving inappropriately with a woman and she brought it up. But he told her off again. He, t- he chastised her. He said, you've got no right to question how I work. And if she ever tries that again, he's cutting her off. And that's that. I feel like all of these threats of cutting these women off, he was never going to cut them off. He was just... Oh, he needs them. He was just playing them to just reel them in further. It's awful. He worked for years. He honed himself for years to get to this point. And he's mm. living living his best life. Like I said, Michelle, he's loving it. Yeah. That's when Nancy thinks he came up with the idea for DOS and the collateral idea. So they had to take a lifetime obedience vow. And there's no doubt that Ranieri's behind it, despite all his denials. There are recordings of him and Alison Mack, the actress, discussing the brandings where he was heard saying things like, hmm, like a sacrifice, get them naked, tied down. The person should ask for it, you know, please brand me or something like that. It would be an honour. Just thoughts. This is him like talking it out with her. God. And by the way, just just put my initials on that brand, just for fun. <laughs> you bloody fool. Made in middle age misunderstanding Mayday. alert. Please backtrack, regain composure and start again. Mayday. I meant to say it. In 2017, DOS became public. So the first line masters, the first ladies who started it, they planned something special for Ranieri. It was a group sex party. But Lauren Saltzman <laughs> wasn't into it. Not into that. She's like, mm, not so into it. She was told by Keith Ranieri that the only way to grow was to do this sex party. And also she had to go to a recommitment ceremony in Mexico. And this is where the bust happened. So they were all in Mexico getting ready for a mm. massive sex party. And that's when they were all arrested. Suck it. Suck it and see. <laughs> Sorry, that's so, that, that sounds quite gross. So, Michelle, in the first version of our Nixium podcast that we did back in season one you spoke about a young Mexican girl who I think something awful had happened to her I can't remember the details but I have the full story okay because I think there were whispers and rumors about this one there was actually there was no concrete facts in the first one well I'm going to tell you the story about this poor girl because she ends up giving testimony and it's one of the most damning ones that really got Keith in the shit. So she's a young Mexican girl 
whose family were all into the Nixium. They were all a wealthy family. They were close. There was, I think, three sisters and a brother. And this young girl was called Danny for the sake of the documentary and her sister Mariana. Both of them were enrolled in a 16-day program by their parents one summer or something. And at the time, the family thought Pam K. Fritz, the lady who died of cancer, was Keith's partner. So they were trusting of this situation. They weren't aware of all the sexy things that were going on behind the scenes. So Mariana Mm -hmm. spent all her time with Pam. But Danny, who was 16 at the time, was spending a lot of time with Keith. And he convinced her not to leave the Nixium compound to go and attend an elite Swiss school, which was the plan for her. So instead, he gave her the job of being the documentarian for Nixium. So she was the one behind the camera for most of the stuff that's ever been filmed, this 16-year-old girl. And she does stay there in the end. She also, because she's so smart, Keith gets her to do things like read science books and then break it down for him so that he gets the knowledge. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> she couldn't be paid. Everything was being held by them, all her papers, everything. And they had managed to – she had to leave the country at one point, but they managed to get her back in. And oh, one God. day, out of impulse, she stole a large sum of money from the admin office, and that tainted her reputation. She did return the money and confess to Keith – but Ranieri then told Nancy that she you know, she was a bad person. We had to keep an eye on her. She's 16 and super smart and feeling manipulated. Yeah, she's 17 by this point, I think. So then he convinced her that he was the only one who was helping her. And that's when he swooped in and made his move on her. Mm. So he had kind of lulled her into this relationship with him, but stopped short of having full sex because he said she was too young. And that as a gift for her 18th birthday, lucky girl, she could have sex with Keith Ranieri. (laughs) Instead, he'd tell her all these lurid stories about what he was getting up to, which was nasty. Mm -hmm. He also told her she had to lose weight in order for him to share his sexual energy with her. And then when the big day arrived, and it was before her 18th birthday, he took her to this dimly lit room with a mattress on the floor, dirty sheets, and then did the deed. And now she's part of the inner circle and the harem. Lucky girl. She also says in her testimony that every time they're on their own together, it was her job to give him oral sex oh my god i mean honestly he's not going to give her a cake is he no getting her down on her knees awful awful man then eventually danny and mariana's youngest sister camilla joined she was sent over and she was now part of the group like she was um, very sweet everybody loved her but then suddenly she became withdrawn over time and the other strange thing was no one knew where she lived keith had her living elsewhere And he was telling everybody it was because her mother was too controlling. But then Mm. Danny, the first girl I told you about, she discovered that Keith had been having a relationship with Camilla, despite her only being 16. Rapist. At this point, Danny gets pregnant to Keith Ranieri. She's beside herself. She's very upset. Listen to what he tells her. He told her basically about all the women who'd had the terminations in, in the compound, including Pam K. Fritz, and even her sister Mariana had had one. And so he got Pam to take poor old Danny off to the clinic because she was told not to reveal to the clinic whether she would have her abortion, who the father was. And afterwards, he even told her that this was a great opportunity for her to lose weight. And that's what all the top athletes do. They use abortions to shed their weight. What a dickhead. This is damning evidence for the jury, mind you. You can imagine. What a fucking asshole. And Honestly, medically ridiculous. Mm, Absolutely. But she's a child when she joins, although she's smart. So I don't really, you know, you'd think it'd be easy for the 
Keith's defence to convince the jury, these people are smart people. Why are they believing this shit? Brainwashed. After years of being what she thought was Keith's best friend and obviously, you know, his sex slave to a certain degree, in 2006, Danny met someone she really liked, but she couldn't understand why Keith Ranieri was not happy about it. He took her virginity. He'd been controlling her for years. He then told her she was in breach. She had done an ethical breach by liking somebody else. She was shunned from the community overnight and her reputation, which was already on the edge because of the stealing, was backed up by this behaviour. And so Keith Ranieri enlisted loads of other people to work on her issues with pride. She had too much pride. And eventually he went further to publicly humiliate her. He put her in isolation. So he had basically put her in a room. He had all her papers, don't forget. He told her to enter this room with blacked out windows, which was empty except for a mattress on the floor. I think that there was a little bathroom attached to it. And all there was was a pen and paper, which she was supposed to use to write to Keith every day, apologizing for her misdemeanor. And when he felt she'd been punished enough and only then, and when she'd overcome her issues, then she would be released from her imprisonment. So poor old Danny's in this room. No outside stimulation didn't take long for her mind to break. She would scream and cry and shout. No one would come. For ages, Lauren was her only visitor. But the conversation would always revolve around Ranieri and how she could make amends. Her siblings were given the job of leaving her food. And they would never be able to look at her or see her, but they would leave her food. And her mother was even enlisted and told that uh, Danny had done irreversible damage. And the mother was made to feel to blame for Danny's behaviour. So he basically convinced an entire community of this girl's wrongdoings. Her whole family. Her family. The mother too. Everybody had to be strict with her. That's what they were all told. And of course, because they wanted to please Ranieri, that's what they did. Meanwhile, poor Danny is going crazy in there. At one point, she grabbed some scissors from the bathroom that she found, cut her really long dark hair and that put more time onto her imprisonment because Keith loves that long dark hair. And he said, basically, now that's worse. The ethical breach was worse. And she'd already been in there ages. She had to stay in there until the hair grew back. And the hair was down past her waist and she cut it really short. So <gasps> Danny Fuck. was in that room for two years, Michelle. No. She was in there for two years. Yep. And at one point, she had accumulated cleaning supplies to drink to end her life. But then, out of the blue, suddenly, she looked out the window How? I don't know. It was supposed to be blacked out. Maybe she just opened the fucking window. Then she walked out the door because guess what? It was never locked. What? Yep. You are fucking joking. That door was (gasps) never locked. She was 24 years old when she walked out of that room. The prison was in her mind. Oh, man. That's the power that he had. Master manipulator. He removed her free will completely. So after her testimony, the entire court was dumbfounded. The journalists, everybody. Obviously, the defence tried to say that she always had a choice to leave, that the door was never locked. And they have a point there because he's clever. Ranieri's clever. Yeah, absolutely. So you'd think that she was one of the most damaged people, but out of her family, she wasn't. Camilla the young one, was the worst. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And she was by his side the whole time. They were worried that she was going to back Ranieri, but eventually she did turn up. A further damning piece of evidence came from information from Camilla. I think there was a text thread that proved that they had been in a relationship for years and years. Mm. From when she was underage to... 
Well, it does become apparent. They thought it was since she was 16, but actually she was younger. Eventually, in 2014, he told her to please him. She needed to get slaves to groom in order to pleasure him. Now, Camilla is horrified by this, but she goes ahead with it anyway. And when they discover that she was only 15 when he started sleeping with her, and also there's loads of really awful pictures of her naked as well, then this is the most serious of all of his crimes. So there's all sorts of awful things, which I don't even want to go into about all the sexy stuff. You'll have to watch The Vow to find out or just look it up. There's timelines all over the internet. When Nancy finally gets her day in court... She has a letter Mm. to the judge to help with her case, right? It details the information that we were always wondering about, which is when she first met Keith Ranieri, like I said before, she was a single mother who had suffered from depression. She divulged that to Keith. He used that against her. Mm. And he told her that she needed to work on her healing before ever starting another relationship. But during that time, he made his move on her. This is way back in the 90s. And they started a brief relationship which ended abruptly on his side. She wasn't told why, but she was convinced by Keith that she must never have another relationship without first discussing with him. So she never, ever did have (gasps) another relationship. No. So she gave her life up to this guy as well. Awful. She felt deep shame over it. When she discovered that he'd been sleeping with her daughter, that hurt. There's betrayal that she was never told for ages and ages. And we're going to go back to the time that Nancy went to help Pam K. Fritz, who lay dying in a soiled bed with no urgency from Keith. She remembers that she, at that point, this is when her relationship with Keith changed because she called an ambulance. She said, listen, this woman is at the end of her life. She's in such a state. She called the ambulance. And from that point on, things were never the same between her and Keith. Oh, because she broke the inner circle. She let outsiders in. There was another breach. Eventually, this girl, Camilla, who they weren't sure about, who was in a relationship with him for a long time, she did turn up to court Mm. and she revealed that he was in his 40s and she was just 13. And (gasps) yes, they did begin having sex when she was 15. Oh, my God. And the naked photos he took of her haunt her to this day. And every time they met, it resulted in sex. So she asked the court to take her 12 years of abuse and the lifelong effects of this into account. Oh, my God. Because also, too, you know, we had started off saying that he was running this cult like a Ponzi scheme. He was also doing that to her. She had to recruit people. But instead of doTERRA or bloody Tupperware, she had to recruit sex slaves. It's horrible. Exactly. Yeah, they had all sorts of plans for it as well. It was going to get really dark and really kinky. Nancy felt that she ought to do time after all of this stuff happening over the 20 years. She feels guilt. She does end up getting 42 months. She's She feels that she needed it because it all happened on her watch. Right. You do feel at the end of this that perhaps she was innocent to some of the shit that was going on, but she wasn't completely innocent because there was a lot of other shit that was going on. Yeah, I mean, anyone worth their salt could have seen this man was a master manipulator. Like I said before, that Claire Bronfman, who was a main benefactor, the heiress, she mm. remained loyal to Ranieri. She received more than her recommended sentence because of this. 
Alison Mack, the actress from Smallville, she denounced Ranieri. She got three years. And Lauren Saltzman, who was looking like one of the worst people of all, when she finally renounced him, got on that stand and told her story and really upset all of the people who had turned their back on her because they were like, oh, my God, you were the biggest victim <gasps> or one of the biggest victim. Yeah, victims. Right. There was a lot of ex-members who did write to the judge to say they felt that she had been a victim. She got five years plus time served, so ended up with no jail time in the end. Wow. Meanwhile, okay. Ranieri, who you'd love to know what happened to him, he is now languishing in a high security prison in Arizona, but his remaining supporters are still campaigning for his release. They still want him out. In fact, they have tried and tried and tried to get it all overturned because they believe he's innocent. Well, they're the ones outside doing SOS with the goddamn lights, aren't they? Like they doing are. little light games. Exactly. But that's the thing, you know, he's still got influence over people, even though he's behind bars. That's the power of his brainwashing. Now, one poignant message at the end of it, there was this woman, Sarah Edmondson, who I'd spoken to you before. She Mm. has the podcast a little bit culty. She was one of the first to raise the alarm about DOS. And she remembers Keith Ranieri saying things like, women are going to change the world. Mm. And she feels... Yes, they did in the end because they are the ones. Brought him down. Despite the fact that he, (laughs) yeah, they brought him down. They broke his sick world that was created solely to service his sexual fantasies, which in my mind, and I'm sure hers and many more, makes him in no doubt a cult leader. And that is the story of The Vow Season 2. How many episodes was it? Six. Six. Jesus Christ. You did a really great job of breaking that down and distilling six hours into basically 40 minutes. (laughs) There was so much that I wanted to include Mm. that was shocking, like a lot of the stuff with Camilla, but it was it is quite shocking and and made me feel quite icky by the end of it. So go and have a look. Michelle, I'll give you some links to add. Oh, yes. And people can read about it if they want to. Mm. But I fear that the story is not finished because he still lives. He's still in prison and he still has power over people. Do you know what, though? It's interesting because you you feel like if he is such a master manipulator, so good at being able to control people, I wonder if he ever took the stand, if he would be charming and charismatic and you would fall under his spell, you know, if the judge would fall under well, his spell. Well, to be honest, spell. I don't know if that happened. I don't know if that happened, but clearly he didn't fall under any spells because they gave him 120 years. Thank fucking Christ. That guy needs to rot in jail. I mean, you said languishing. I bet you he has started to manipulate everyone in the jail too. He's probably got a nice, soft, comfy pillow and lots of extra rations and whatnot because he's good. But who knows? what he does. Maybe he's having a shit time. Well, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) There was something. At one point, Nancy Nancy Saltzman, Mm. she meets up with Diane Ben-Skota. Diane Ben-Skota was a former Mooney and she's a deprogrammer. And we've mentioned her before, whether it's with regards to this story or the Moonies, Mm. I'm not sure. So she's now a cult deprogrammer. And she says one of the hallmarks of being psychologically manipulated was for someone, and in this case it was Keith Ranieri, to tear you down. Yeah. Tear down all of your mental constructs and then have leave you broken, but then have all the answers for you. Right. Now, this concept resonated deeply with Nancy. She understood that when she heard that. She was like, ah, OK, I get it now. That That's how an intelligent person with free agency, free will, independence 
can suddenly have their mind flipped and trust this person like a parent. Yes. Like a guardian, like a vanguard. Yes. Because, as you said, they're broken and he puts them back together in the way that he wants. Yes, But you know what? I feel like this happens in relationships too. It does. That's called coercive control. Yeah, it is. Where bit by bit you are broken down and then they know how to put you back together in a way that it's all about them. You're being controlled by them. It's it's absolutely terrifying. And I think that, you know, obviously Keith Ranieri is quite extreme. He's a cult leader. This happens behind people's front doors all over the world. It's really, really scary people. Scary. Scary stuff. (laughs) Scary stuff. But don't think that it can't happen to you. You just have to be aware you know, that this shit happens. Mm. If it does happen to you or someone that you care about, mm. you can't judge them for being weak. You can't. No. It's a master manipulation. Yep. This person has been honing his skill or their skills for years and years and years. Yep. And they are good at what they do. And you're a victim. Somebody actually said to me, if you think about it, isn't religion a cult? I'm not going to go into that right now. That's deep. We've We've actually mentioned that before on this podcast and go let's not go there because you know that is opening a massive can of worms i think there's something in that but we will park that we're just gonna park that let's let's park that for all our eavesdroppers to have a little existential think about it over the next week until we meet again because you know what you have to do now don't you well we do but before we do that i just want to say thank you so much i absolutely love that fucking story it's my pleasure yes i know what we have to do because wherever you are and whatever you do just, just keep, keep eavesdropping, eavesdropping. fucking dig it eavesdropping, eavesdropping. eavesdropping.